Welcome to We Are SC Game Day. This is Eric McKinney, joined as always by Greg Katz and Daryl Rideau. USC has a big one this weekend. A 12:30 kickoff in Seattle uh, against the number 17 Washington Huskies. USC is going to take their number 21 ranking uh, on the road. And the road so far this year, only one occurrence of USC playing away from the Coliseum, and it was not a positive outing, uh, an overtime loss to BYU. They're going to have to get some things right against a, a very strong Washington team. And big news on the injury front for USC right off, off the top. Uh, Greg, going to bring you in. Quarterback, Keaton Slovis, knocked out of the Utah game. Concussion protocol all week. He's not cleared. Matt Fink is going to get the start. Your thoughts about Matt Fink stepping in as, I mean, he stepped in about as early as you can against Utah after the second play of the game, but he'll be the guy. And I think really he's known sort of all week and he's been practicing to be the starter against Washington. Your thought about Matt Fink and, and what he does sort of to, to this USC offense and can do with this USC offense. You know, I, li I like Matt Fink. And I, I tell you what he brings to the table. He brings – he's a competitor. And uh, it, it, it shows when he's on the field. I think the team likes rallying around him. And probably when you think about it, I think going back to what you said, you know, he came in, I think, on the third play of the game after the second play. And he, he actually showed the mobility that we saw in Jack Sears. And one of those mobility moves uh, ended up in being, I think, a touchdown or a long completion pass. So – you know, he really is the best type of quarterback to face this type of Washington team, which is physical up front, relentless, uh, well-coached. You know, there's that feeling that I think we all understood that Slovis was probably not going to play. I'd say the only negative thing, which probably is a positive thing, is Fink has had all week to know that he's going to start. But I have no doubt in my mind that he will compete, whether it's, you know, three touchdown passes or three interceptions, He's not going to quit. And I, if he gets knocked around a little bit, he'll get back up. His body's ready to take that type of beating. So I think all in all, uh, I think that Fink will account for himself. It just depends how well in that environment. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it all spring, all fall. USC had four quarterbacks that, that looked excellent at times, very good at other times, almost never bad. I mean, this was a situation where there's so much – talk and, and so many words written about you know who they should go with at quarterback who the starter should be and, and I think ultimately everyone was kind of okay with with any of the four guys and so three of them so far have have kind of gotten to prove it I think Matt Fink for me he the the physical maturation that I think you've seen from him he, he is this you know big strong guy now and again so many words spent this week about you know, Brandon Purdue and what happens if Matt Fink goes down and that kind of stuff. Matt Fink's one of those guys that will just, if he needs to, he will will himself through a game. He, he didn't come this far to get this kind of opportunity not to capitalize on it. And you saw how he played against Utah where he almost didn't care at times. Look, I'm, I'm going for this. This might be my only shot. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to let guys make plays. And I think, like you said, against Washington, it almost is better with a guy who just doesn't know any better. He, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know what could go wrong. He's going to go out there and, and throw the ball around. And you mentioned the mobility. I think that that's a big thing uh, to, to be able to bring 
to a Washington offense when you didn't have that sort of change of pace or, or something else to offer against BYU that sort of defense really ate up this USC offense but that that's not the only injury news that we have to get to off the top Daryl bringing you in we're going to the defensive backfield two huge losses for for USC against Washington they're going to go without uh, standout safety Talanoa Hufanga they're going to go without big time cornerback Elijah Griffin. Elijah Griffin missed a lot of the Utah game uh, with, with back spasms. That's going to keep him out against Washington. That was a thin secondary already. You're down, I, I think, not even arguably, I think you're down your two best players uh, right. in the secondary. What, what, what does that do for the defensive backs against Washington and a quarterback? We'll get into Jacob Beeson later, but a guy who wants to yeah. throw the ball and can throw it anywhere on the field. Well, you know, Eric, uh, when I played at USC in the late 90s and the early 2000s, we used to call going up to Washington the evil empire. And rightfully so. I mean, the Emerald City, whatever you want to call it, whatever analogy you want to give it, it's a very tough place to play. And if USC perceivably is walking down the yellow brick road, they're, they're walking in the secondary without the heart of their defense in Talanao Hufanga and without the brains of their defense in terms of who gives them character and who gives them that swag in Eliza Griffin. It's a tall order to ask a backup or a, a true freshman in Chris Steele to come in on the road in probably the biggest spot that he's going to be faced with and live up to the billings of, of going up against a team like this. What Hufanga does that doesn't always show up is he's such a smart player. He allows for you to cover down uh, between him and Isaiah Palomao, they're able to what they call seesaw, switch positions with, without having to disrupt what the defense wants to do. And it's because of that. You take that off the field. Now you have to replace that with the likes of a Chase Williams, um, you know, moving him from the reserve slot position, perhaps putting him back there. But I'd like to see what C.J. Pollard can do. Can he fill in some serviceable minutes and just play safety by committee? But if you're Isaiah Palomao, can you maintain the uh, um, tenacity within your own game without having to look over your shoulder to make sure that those guys are lined up? Again, it's going to be a tall order, but if, if there's ever a team that can rally behind backups, boy, isn't it this USC team that's proven that behind the backups that they've been uh, playing at the quarterback position? Yeah, certainly. I mean, <laughs> that what you've seen at quarterback is kind of playing out here in the defensive backs. And like you mentioned, Chase Williams, going to get the start at safety uh, alongside pull him out and then at corner Isaac Taylor Stewart is is back he missed that Utah game with a concussion so he and Chris Steele will be outside Greg Johnson starting at nickel if you look at the guys that you expected to contribute this year in the secondary that's your list you you did mention yep. CJ Pollard that there is a third safety CJ Pollard could come in you know, maybe Greg Johnson can bounce outside if you need to spell one of those guys and Chase Williams comes down to nickel. But at that point, you're just kind of rearranging guys back there. Nobody's going to get much of a rest. I mean, th this is going right. to be kind of, it feels like an Ironman game for that secondary. Right. And again, like we mentioned, this is probably the first quarterback this year that can really test uh, that secondary. They, they've done well against, you know, the deep ball. They've done well kind of in yeah. coverage, I think, overall. But here comes the test. You, you missed it. KJ Costello did not play for Stanford. Uh, right. that, you know, that was sort of a, an open book test uh, for, for the defense. <laughs> this one's not. This is tough. 
this is by far the, their toughest matchup. But again, honorable mention, a shout out to Max Williams. This is a kid out of Sarah who, you know, kind of battled some injuries. A USC stuck with them, allowed him to kind of mature and just really just take his time and ease back into things. But he's been, according to Greg Burns, when I talked to him after the Utah game, he's been very excited about his progress and couldn't wait to feature him in the secondary. So if there is going to be some secondary roulette in terms of moving guys in and out of seats, uh, perhaps Greg Johnson moving to a corner spot to, to, um, to, you know, within that rotation at times, look for Max Williams to come in as a purest of all nickels and, and really kind of give that Mikhail Roby um, type of presence to the secondary, a smaller guy in stature, but very fast, great hands, and can just spark a little bit of energy, which this secondary could definitely use. Yeah, I, I think uh, talking about true freshmen who could see some time, Britton Allen, uh, again, if they have to go deeper at safety, and then Max Williams at, at nickel, he, to me, is a guy where if I'm the opposing offense and I see him come in, that, that's where I'm attacking. And if I'm a USC fan, I, I, I actually maybe want to see that. I, I think this is a kid. That. I think this is a kid that can absolutely rise to kind of any challenge. And he, I think, is – it, it was so tough for him. He, he had to battle back from that ACL, and you could tell yeah. watching him. He wants to be on that field so badly. I, I actually, again, it, it's, you know, it, it, you'd like a better situation for him. You'd like sort of a nice, cushy, you know, non-conference home game for, for him to get in there. But this that might be right up fun. his alley getting thrown in, into a game like this. I, I think right. you're right about that. Yeah, and this is why you come to USC. You thrive for these opportunities. Uh, and, and again, it is going to be a tall order. But the other thing to look at this week is Clancy Pendergast. Again, I always mention him week in and week out because for me, the DNA of this team oftentimes reflects on how he calls a game. If he has confidence in Matt Fink and the offense is going to continue to be aggressive, then he'll call an aggressive defense. But if he doesn't, then you, you can watch him get a little bit more conservative and, and try to keep um, Washington and Jacob Easton and everyone in front of them. I don't want to see that. I do want to see an aggressive defense that takes their shots but plays smart in the secondary. Don't get caught up in playing a lot of man coverage. You got to mix it up. Take some pressure off of the secondary. But more importantly, make sure that whatever you call, they're able to communicate effectively and just understand what their assignment is. You can't give up any cheap passes like USC did in 2017. They gave up, but then again, those receivers for Washington were great when you think about Pettis and, and then the speedster who, you know, both of those guys are now in the NFL. But they went up against an Adoree Jackson and a, a Biggie a Marshall, and they had their way. This is a different group, still potent, but I, I like the way that this secondary is playing. You talked about it. They don't give up the easy chunk yards. They force teams that kind of beat you down the field. And so far, teams haven't been disciplined enough to really attack the secondary. They pick their shots in other places, which USC will continue to have to shore up when we talk about the front seven. You know, let, let's get into that right now. Let, let's make that transition. USC's defense has been hit on, on the perimeter. And this was something that Fresno State, you know, who knows if, if they sort of guessed that that would, that would be sort of the, the plan of attack and then were right and, and kept going. But every team that USC has played so far has seen something that either, you know, a previous opponent uh, of USC has done it well. So they say, Hey, let's throw that in or 
again, they came into the season thinking we can hit USC here. How, how do you fix it? Is there a fix? We, we heard the, the players and, and Coach Pendergast this week sort of saying it's, it's just getting better at sort of diagnosing and getting that initial reaction, taking a better angle, and then making that tackle. That's, it seems like a lot of stuff, but yeah. it does feel like there's so much emphasis on don't get beat up the middle. Don't give up anything up the middle that everyone is making so sure of, okay, it's going outside before they right. actually start heading out there. So it's, it's one of those things where it, it, is that okay? Do you just try to rely on athleticism to go make that play and, and try to get better and better? Or do you see something coming and, and there is an answer because – Chris Peterson's on the other side of that field that, you know, obviously the first thing maybe you think of with him is kind of Boise state gadget plays yeah, and yeah. being able to throw just a ton of, of misdirection and all that kind of stuff. And that is not something that USC has handled. Well, what do you see kind of overall, you know, defensive USC defensive matchup against what's coming in Washington where a, a great quarterback some good pieces offensively. Yeah. And I don't think this is a, an offensive roster with Washington where you look through and go, oh, my gosh, there's, you know, six or seven guys that, that really worry you as a defense. Right. But, but with Washington, you're always concerned about the sum of all parts. And with USC, you got to keep this in mind. Um, all season long, up until this point, they've gone up against mobile quarterbacks that have forced the interior linemen to turn into sprinters put their big shoulder pads on the sideline and put on their track spikes. Because at times, if you go back and you just watch replays of the game, you're watching the fat nasties in the middle, having a sprint 15 yards down the field to try to, you know, um, rally to tackle either quarterbacks or uh, receivers or running backs that get through um, the first level and penetrate the edges. You talked about it. It's beyond just being sound within your technique. It's also scheme. It's the scheme that allows for the, the, the front seven to play with leverage. But it's also, from an alignment standpoint, if you're the nickel, you got to put yourself in the box so that the offensive line has to account for you. When they don't have to account for that nickel outside the box and they're just looking at two interior linebackers, it is quite easy for them to figure out who they're going to chip, who they're going to seal, and create these large running gaps. So look for USC to perhaps try to disguise things. I saw a little bit of it with Hunter Echoes uh, when he rotated in. Sometimes he lined up in the box and at the last minute dropped to his, uh, his hot routes. And usually that's like a curl to flat area. So if USC disguises what they do and do it well, I think that they'll have success. But keep this in mind. We talked about the secondary having some new faces in there. Will they, will they remain in sync and kind of, you know, uh, stunt and shift the same way that perhaps Hufanga would do with Palomalu. Those are two critical positions at the safety, showing too high and then creeping into the box late so that you're unaccounted for. Again, there are some things schematically that USC can do, but at the end of the day, to a man, the players will tell you, I just got to win my one-on-one -on -one battle. If I win my one-on-one -on -one battle and I seal the edge and I force the, uh, the pocket or the quarterback Easton to remain in the pocket, although he's not as elusive as some of the uh, quarterbacks that USC has faced up until now, Eric, you have to remember that he can scramble and his eyes are always gazed down the field and he's looking to just pick you apart. And Chris Peterson is going to try to hit you with the fifth element, length times width times height. He's going to try to hit you with moving screens, 
uh, the fly series. And what he's really trying to do is get you out of position so that he can isolate certain players and take advantage of, uh, of those gaps. Look for what Washington wants to do, and they're going to pay close attention to how smart USC is. Will they seal the edges early to deter Washington from staying within that scheme? Or will Washington continue to pick up where other teams have found holes? That is something that we hope that this USC team is smart after, you know, a collective, what, the first quarter of the season? Going into another road test, let's see how smart you are as a secondary and a defense. Do you get the sense – I mean, this is not a, a inexperienced secondary. It's not like, you know, the, the backups that are coming in for those starters, they, they've played. Chase Williams has played a lot. Right. You know, Chris Steele, Isaac Taylor Stewart, th those are, are corners for you now. It's not like these guys are just seeing time. Chris Steele has been thrown out there, played just – I, I mean, I think the entire game against Utah. So it, it's not like you're missing a lot. It's just if you have to go – beyond them beyond them yeah. do you see or, or or would you guess that there's a change kind of in defensive philosophy with those guys out or do you think we'll see the same you, you hear so much from sort of USC fans talking about you know bring more pressure bring blitzes throw stunts do all that sort of stuff is that do you feel like that is what you know would work with what you have in the secondary right now would that work against this you know Washington offensive line which hasn't give up, given up a ton of pressures or, or sacks at all this year and then but it does have a quarterback that you hope at least can't escape I right mean, USC is kind of broken into the backfield and yep. then watch the quarterback hit him for you know six seven ten twelve yards yep. what, what do you feel like in terms of Clancy kind of dialing things up like that or, or really kind of playing it straight against this Washington offense when you have when you have inexperience in terms of working together in the secondary, but not from a standpoint of having reps, but just kind of communicating and working together, Clancy likes to run a lot of man coverage. Why? Because if the corners have success in, in holding their own in man-to-man -man coverage, it allows for him now to, to rotate and move those safeties and the nickel and play games and really try to confuse the quarterback post-snap. But if he struggles, if the secondary struggles in holding up in man coverage, expect him to abandon man coverage right away and go maybe to a third, three deep zone and really try to keep the, the, um, the action in front. If that happen, happens, it becomes catch and go. So the, the, for me, it's the chess match is how well can the corners hold up, which will allow for the safeties now to maybe rotate and move and disguise their, their true coverage late. If they are able to do that, then you can run your twists and stunts and games up front. But if your corners can't hold up, then you got to keep your, your, your linebackers deep, uh, deep enough to protect against the quick inverted routes, uh, those um, hot routes. If they are able to hold up, now all of a sudden you can play games in the middle with Houston and EA um, and, and just move them around and perhaps send him on some, um, some B-gap blitzes. So I'm curious to see, again, how Clancy starts this game off. Is he conservative and vanilla and just kind of sees what Washington throws at him? Or does he take the fight to Washington and try to punch them in the mouth early to set the tone? If he does that, I think that this defense will respond and react well with confidence. But if they play reactionary, it could be a long night when you talk about Chris, uh, Chris Steele 
starting at home. It's one thing starting at home, but it's another thing going on the road in a hostile environment where the fans feel like they're on top of you. The stands are aluminum, so the, the, um, the sound echoes all throughout. It's a tough play to, place to play. And on the road, if you give up a big play, those fans are knowledgeable and they will let you know it as they're eating their brie and drinking their Chardonnay. All right, Greg, let, let's flip over to USC offense. We, we talked about Matt Fink going in there. Uh, this is an offense that did not run the ball well against Utah, save for those last four minutes. And this is an offense that is probably going to see a defense that looks a whole lot like a BYU defense that got a win, uh, got a win against USC this year. Um, Get, give us a little bit your take on, on sort of what you expect to see with Matt Fink behind center. We can't say under center anymore. <laughs> with Matt Fink leading the charge uh, and, and kind of what this offense might be able to do against, again, a, a Washington defense that seems like a, a little bit of a polar opposite of Utah, where, this is a, where, where Utah was just stacked uh, in their front four and along their defensive line. Washington does it with their defensive backs, uh, a ton of talent back there. Um, but so, so which when on paper, USC's wide receivers against Washington's defensive backs, this might be sort of the best kind of unit on unit matchup in the Pac-12 going on Saturday. Oh, I, I think you're right. Uh, you know, the thing, amazing thing about Washington, they only had two returning starters from last year. But, you know, Clay Helton says, well, we have a young team. Well, Washington has a very young team really young the difference is is they redshirt most of their guys and they they do see uh, some playing time when they come in so this washington's uh, defense you know is going to be a very big challenge and part of the challenge will be for the sc offensive line to try to at least neutralize the pass rush of washington now we know that they're probably going to be uh, running the same defense they ran against uh, washington state I think the record now against Washington State for Washington is they've defeated the Cougars 5-0. to zero. Now, our illustrious teammate on WeRSC.com, Kevin Bruce, I hope people got a chance to read his special defensively uh, speaking column where he actually had photos uh, and it's very uh, good read and easy to read. Now, here's the key. If I'm Peterson, who I think is probably near as good a coach as there is in the conference, no question about it, is he really going to let Matt Fink get outside? He's going to make sure they can try to contain him. And, and that's going to be the key. So there's no place for Matt Fink to go. I do think that Matt Fink still can maneuver his way out of some of the situations. The biggest key is that SC is able to run the ball for more than 13 yards. Now, one of the keys from my perspective, and I might be in the minority, is I would like to see a lot of carries for Marquis Step. You know, some players, they just help an offensive line. The way Step plays, he helps. He's an A, point A to point B runner. He runs hard. Where some guys maybe get a yard, he might get three. Maybe he'll get four. If they can have a running attack. Now, we know that uh, normally, the Washington defense plays about five five guys in the secondary. It won't be strange to see them drop eight. But if you can run the ball, and first of all, to run the ball, you have to call running plays. 
I don't think SC could survive just passing the ball. If SC only passes the ball, they're playing defense on themselves. They're one-dimensional. And I think Peterson's defense will eat that alive. Now, as you said, the secondary for Washington is, is talented. Maybe not as talented at the start of the season, but what I saw against BYU and some of the other things, this is no longer a true, fresh defense. Now, they'll be facing maybe as good a receiving core as there is in the country. And that's what's going to be the intrigue about the game. But the number one thing to me is, is the USC offensive line. They cannot play an average game. They have to play the best game of the year to allow their offense to control the ball and score. Because if they don't, they're going to be in trouble. Now, the thing about, uh, if I could just add on Fink, he's a better uh, version I'm not saying he is, but he's a better version of a Sam Darnold than JT Daniels and uh, Slovis, okay? And if we go back to 2016, Washington had a real tough time containing Sam Darnold. Now, granted that, you know, Daniel Mortabebe, who had a fantastic game up at Washington, is not on the team any longer. But the message is they found a spot with their tight ends. And the thing is, is SC has not been throwing to their tight ends. So let's take a real look at the beginning of the game if SC is going to try to at least get Washington to think about SC throwing to the tight end. If SC doesn't throw to the tight end, they're playing defense on themselves, and they're going to have a tough time offensively. Yeah, I think we heard so much from the coaches all the way back in spring when Graham Harrell first got here. This is not the Washington State air raid. This is not Mike Leach's air raid. This is different. This is a, a huge run component in it. This, this is the time to prove it. This game specifically, if you're Washington State, Washington will shut you down. I, I don't know how many years in a row. I, I think they're 6-0, actually, maybe, maybe even going back another year. But why, it's, it's not like they're winning shootouts against Washington State. Washington State has not scored more than 17 points against this Washington defense in the last six years, that, that's not a fluke. At a certain point, and you hear Washington defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake, he, he says, we know how to shut this down. We, we know how. If you want to go in against Washington and just try to throw the ball, you're going to have a very, very difficult time. I, I think this game is prove-it time uh, for, for the USC offense. I think against Utah, you got away with, the fact that your wide receivers are just that good, that they made plays. And again, that's, that's part of the team. That's part of your offense. You can't really knock the fact that they went and did that because at sometimes you just have to do that. Guys have to make plays. I think this game is going to be far more about scheme and strategy and play calling and, and setting things up. And I think USC isn't going to be able to kind of chuck their way downfield the way that they could get out of trouble a little bit against Utah. And I think, again, we're going to get a real sense of how complete of an offense is this. Like you said, all eyes, again, sort of on the offensive line, how they, A, can protect a quarterback that has no, no viable backup going into this game. I mean, that off the top, that is the most important thing. But then you have to get that run game going. Like you said, Marquis Steps seems to be kind of the the miracle cure for that, you know, the, the, the magic pill. Um, 
But if there are issues, you know, if, if the coaches feel there are issues fumbling and there are issues uh, pass protection, then that's something that, that certainly has to be corrected. But I think, like you said, the, the offensive line and being able to really get Washington away from what they want to do defensively, for me, is, is absolutely the key for, for this USC offense. Greg, your, your thoughts from what you either expect to see or hope to see or think we might see uh, fr from this USC offense against Washington on Saturday? Well, two extra points I wanted to make was one, I think that Fink will run the ball. I think they'll pick the shots. Uh, you know, that, that's one of his strengths. I realize there's always a fear of injury, but at this point in the season, I, I think you still have to just go with what you do, but you'd be cautious about it. And the other uh, point was Graham Harrell. You know, is he the guru that everybody thinks he is? Uh, is he stubborn? Is, is he going to throw the ball in passing? Is, you know, uh, you know, not is, is there, but you need a running attack. So a lot of people, I think, are starting to say, just what kind of an offense coordinator do we have? And I'll give you just a quick example, then I'll throw it back to you guys. You know, last year, everybody complained, well, they just throw the ball deep for 50-50 balls. And, you know, they would jump up in the air and they're just better than somebody else. But to me, they're starting to do some of that again. I mean, if you look at Utah, they threw the ball deep. You know, sometimes guys are double covered and, you know, great plays, no doubt about it, by the receivers. But it started to take on that feel of last year's chuck it downfield and they'll make a play. So who knows what's going to happen. But, it's you know, Graham Harrell is going to have to show that he adjusts to the defense uh, and is not just stubborn that I'm just going to pass the ball, even though he might say, well, what else are we going to do if we can't run the ball? But we'll see. Yeah, I, I think overall you need a, maybe a tighter game from Matt Fink than you got against Utah. He's going to have to find, you know, throwing the ball. I think Washington's going to make him find windows, make him make maybe more reads than Utah made him do. And, and I don't think you're going to get away with, maybe some mistake throws uh, the way he was against Utah. I think he's capable of doing it. Uh, I don't think that's sort of the, the A-plus in his game. But, again, I, I think he's going to really have to step up and make some tougher throws than Utah made him make. Well, just you keep know. in mind one thing about Washington's defense. What they line up in is not sometimes what they're in when the ball is actually snapped. So what he thinks he sees – may not be what's really going to happen. And that's intriguing to see how he adjusts. And, and that's for Keaton Slovis, what ended the game against BYU. That <laughs> what he threw into was not sort of what he took the snap looking at. And, and that's what I think, you, you know, when you hear Graham Harrell talk about BYU, yeah, they ran the same thing all day. You, if, if Washington does that, USC has to have sort of the, the offense to get them out of it. And I think that was a key that you just didn't see against BYU. They were USC was never able, you know, Clay Helton talks about, yeah, we ran the ball well, uh, you know, 171 yards against, against a team giving up 250 coming into the game. But they never were able to do it enough where BYU really had to sell out and, and do something different. And Washington State has never been able to do that to Washington. And that's why Washington's been able to sit kind of in their defense and kind of dictate everything that happens in those games if you're USC's offense you can't let you can't let that happen to Washington you've got to do some things that that really makes them change it up and makes them uncomfortable because they are absolutely they've shown they are absolutely comfortable 
dropping seven, dropping eight, and playing against a team that just wants to pass over and over. So I think we're both in agreement there. That that absolutely is going to be the thing to watch on Saturday. Daryl, want to go to you. This is, uh, we, you know, it seems like every week we talk about here comes a big game. This is a big yeah. game. They, you know, the, the Stanford, you know, game to kick off the Pac-12 was always going to be a big game. Getting a number 10 Utah team at home, that was a big game. This one feels a little different. I think going on the road, you know, to a Washington team that, uh, you know, not, you know, I think they're in fourth place in the Pac-12 North because Cal got them early in the season. But th this Washington team is different. They, You know, they've sort of been the Pac-12 team over the last few years. USC, I think, can make a, a big statement going up where USC just – you know, you talk about sort of off-field issues, and now with injuries, on-field issues, they've got sort of everything swirling. Still, you think if they go up there, it makes a big statement. What is this game for you kind of in, in your eyes in terms of big picture, either either for the season or the entire program, individual players, the, the coaching staff? What, what's sort of your feeling, your overall feeling about this game on Saturday and what it could mean if it goes either way for USC? Well, for me, I don't give as much credit to the Utah victory at home in the Coliseum where Clay Heldon has always got his team to play well in the Coliseum throughout the course of, of his career as a head coach. But they don't necessarily travel the same way in terms of mentality, uh, efficiency. You know, it just seems like things tend to, to be a little erratic when they play on the road. So for me, this is the most crucial test. What is this team going to be defined by? It's going to be going on the road in a hostile environment against, like you said, the upper echelon of the Pac-12. It has been Washington. They've represented the Pac-12 in the playoffs, which USC has not been able to do. So if you want to be considered amongst the creme de la creme, this is where you have to make a statement. I'm not certain that they have enough firepower with Matt Fink. There's a reason why Matt Fink was the fourth quarterback amongst four quarterbacks and not to take anything away from them but those 50 50 balls that you can do in the coliseum don't always bounce the same way on the road defensively this is one of those games where i'd love to see the defense take over and really play a complete four quarters again this may be a washington team without one of their starting um running backs um salvan ahmad if he's not in look for richard newton he has five touchdowns but again, this offense for Washington will go as Jacob Eason takes it. Efficient, very efficient, 73% uh, completion, has already thrown for 10 tuts. You know, and he has some very comparable wide receivers with Aaron Fuller and Andre Bocelli, if I'm pronouncing the last name right. Bocelli has a, you know, he's caught in a 50-yarder. Um, so he's a burner. He's one of those guys that will take their shots. But for me, it always comes down to Chris Peterson being the smartest person in the room. There's nothing that you cannot over-prepare for. You may even have to go back to some Boise State type of plays because he's very capable of doing that. But for me, I thought that BYU did a great job of exposing the limitations of what this defense can be. And Chris Peterson is BYU on steroids in a sense that the coaches are more prepared. They have a good sense of how they want to attack you. And oftentimes they may bait you into doing something that you don't want to do to make you play left-handed. If they cannot take Eason 
out of the pocket and get him out of his rhythm, it is going to be a long day. But this is still a, a Washington team, and I'll say it until they prove otherwise, with the glass jaw. If they get punched in the mouth and get stunned, USC can go up there and steal one and come home riding a high wave. Let's hope that the better of the, the latter of the two happens, that USC comes in, throw caution to the wind, and just play a complete fourth quarter game. Yeah, I mean, th there is a blueprint against Washington from this season. Cal went up with, with a yep. extremely physical defense, and, and who knows, the, you know, the power outage, and I think it was a two- or three-hour delay. You know, USC probably not going to get that, you know, dur during the day game up there. But it, like you said, if you stand up to Washington, it seems like you can, you know, maybe get the better of them. You mentioned a couple of their offensive weapons. Yeah, speed on the outside. The running back situation still up in the air, and Chris Peterson's one of those sort of gamesmanship coaches. I don't think you'll hear about that until maybe the second quarter. You'll find out if he's playing or not. Um, but a, a local kid, Sean McGrew, uh, he he has the skill to step up at a running back for Washington. You know that he's going to want to play well uh, if it is indeed him getting the the start. You know he's going to want to play well against uh, his hometown USC Trojans. Greg, Daryl sort of mentioned a little bit. I, I mentioned a little bit. Three wins for USC this year, and they've all been sort of yeah, but wins. You know, Fresno State starting a, a quarterback, his first start of his career, uh, you know, and then you get Stanford without their best offensive lineman, without their starting quarterback. And then Utah, you, you beat Utah. They lose Zach Moster in the season. Now, those teams have very little room to complain. USC is playing with their number three quarterback right now, played multiple games with their number two quarterback. So they've gone through it too. But when you thought you might get a sense of what USC was against some of these teams, Stanford, Utah, certainly being the two, uh, maybe you did, maybe these two, you know, they, they didn't have their full complement of players. Maybe they're not what you expected. I don't think if USC goes and beats Washington, I, I don't think that's a yeah, but game. I, I think that really shows you that they can go and beat a really good team and do it on the road. I think that says a lot. We'll get into it a little bit later if they can, but your sort of overall thoughts about kind of what this is in, in terms of a, you know, it, like we talked about with Daryl, the, the program, the season, the coaches, the players, just kind of a, an overall feel about what this game means for USC when they go up to, to take on the Huskies? Well, I think it has a couple of dynamics. Number one, as Daryl so uh, aptly put it, they're not, SC is not the same team on the road under Helton. Uh, especially as an underdog, we're all aware that he's like one in 12 or one in 13 as an underdog. That I mean, there's a pattern there. You can't deny that. Um, I think it's a benchmark game. If you take what Helton said in the spring that he was trying to accomplish, we're going to be physical. We're not going to have penalties on taking over the penalty situation and team discipline. In a, in a place like Husky Stadium that I've been to many times, it's going to test their discipline. It's going to test their character, their mental toughness. They're willing to bounce back. Um, you know, that's one dynamic. Uh, if they win the game, they'll, they'll deserve winning the game because that's a real tough place to play. Although, SC has a history of recently of going up there and winning. So this is going to be kind of interesting. On a second note, you know, obviously Clay Helton's job has been in question. And if he could get a win here, that'll silence the critics even more. 
I think at this point in the season, uh, this may disappoint some SC fans, but I think he's going to last the season. And the reason I say that, that Utah win was so important that even if he lost uh, on Saturday, you know, that would be a first Pac-10 loss. Uh, and you know what? They're still in the thick of the race, and they're still tied with Utah. If they should end at the end of the season, tied with Utah, SC will get not as in head-to-head competition, SC won. You know, if you're thinking about Helton and his future, a couple of things come to mind. Number one, um, you know, I think SC would have to lose three conference games and be eliminated from South Division contention for a uh, dismissal to happen. Uh, I'm not saying it couldn't happen or it's, it's, it's going to happen. You have to play it out. I do think the second half of the season, we talked about this, I have a different perspective on it, is looking like the second half might be tougher than the first half by the way teams are playing. And I'm talking about Colorado, ASU, Cal. The, those are three road games, and those teams look improved to me. Okay? And that, that doesn't even count Oregon uh, in the Coliseum. And who knows when SC plays uh, Arizona. Uh, because they'll be coming playing Arizona the week after they play at Notre Dame. So it's going to be real interesting, but I will say this. Uh, I think SC has a puncher's chance to, to do it, but they've got to be in the game in the fourth quarter because if they're not, Peterson really, really is tough to beat when they've got a lead. Yeah, and, and that will sort of transition to that. We're, we're going to get to our Pac-12 picks right now. Uh, an interesting week again in the Pac-12. We'll finish off with the USC-Washington picks for all of us. But let's start off the, the Friday night game. Arizona State, which had a huge win against Michigan State. And like so many Pac-12 programs, like Arizona State in particular, follows that up by losing to Colorado. So now they already have a Pac-12 loss, like you mentioned, if you're talking about you know tiebreakers at the end of the season. They've got to be the road team on a Friday night game, which has been just miserable, those Friday night games for road teams. They're going to Cal, which all of a sudden Cal is the lone Pac-12 undefeated team and has looked pretty good. I mean, you know, maybe they get the benefit of the doubt of the call there at the end of that Mississippi game. But Arizona State, I think, has their work cut out for them against Cal. I'm going to take Cal. I'm going to take the home team uh, over Arizona State. Daryl. What do you have in that game? Cal, great defense, plays well at home, but their offense is very porous. I just think Arizona State has too many athletes. They appear to be a well-coached team. They lost a heartbreaker there um, uh, against Colorado. I look for them to rebound. There will be no undefeated Pac-12 teams after this week. All right, Greg, how about you? Uh, I'm going to go with you, Eric. I think that Cal is on a real high. They're going to be the national game of the week. They can make a statement. They're not going to be underwhelmed in terms of they're not up for it. And I think you still have to consider that, you know, that Arizona State's playing freshman quarterback, okay? And, you know, how's he going to, uh, you know, what's the weather going to be like in the Bay Area at night, okay? So I think that there's a lot of reasons why I think that Cal's going to win. You know, Cal's like a baseball team. You win with defense and pitching. And I'm going to go with Cal defense and pitching against Arizona State's hitting. So, for me, it's going to be Cal. All right. And then two teams coming off just, you know, maybe the two most disappointed teams from last week. Washington State uh, somehow, somehow found a way 
to let UCLA climb all the way back 32 points uh, and come away with, I think the final score ended up 115 to 114, something <laughs> in that range. Uh, they have to take on Utah now, which Utah, you know, wants to get back kind of to what, you know, they, they were a number 10 team that came in and got the final score is seven points, a seven point difference against USC, but it, it felt a lot more kind of lopsided than that. These are two teams that absolutely need a win. I think this is one of the more interesting games, you know, nationally uh, this week. Greg, in that game, Utah-Washington State, who do you have? Well, I thought I saw one of the dumbest coaching that I've seen in a long time in Washington State. When they were up 41-17, to 17, all Washington State had to do was run the ball or even take, take a knee. And UCLA couldn't come back. But Leach is stubborn. He's going to do what he does. Their defense is really suspect. I think that Utah will stop Washington State because Utah is in desperation. If they lose that game in the South Division game uh, standings, they're in big trouble. So I'm going with the Utes and the Muffs up there. And, uh, you know, might be freezing or what have you, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking Utah. All right, Daryl, how about you? When Anthony Gordon is 41 of 61 for 570 yards, nine touchdowns, and two picks, it's hard to go against Washington State, especially when for Kyle Whittingham um, and his youths, losing to USC the way that they lost, there's a, it, it, it has that lasting effect or impact on it. And I don't think that they can get over a hangover, an emotional hangover of a loss like that. I think they're they're going to lose again. I, I like Washington by two touchdowns on the road. Washington State, that is. The Cougars. All right, yeah. I, for this game, for me, I'm going to take the home team. I, I'm going to take the, the Utah because they can play at home. I, if it was at Washington State, I would have taken Washington State. I, I think being able to, to kind of be comfortable and, and be in your own surroundings, I think, is important for, like we mentioned, two teams coming off those kind of games that they had. And you guys uh, will learn to stop picking them home teams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, UCLA, Arizona. This is a team where a game where uh, who, who are these teams? You know, you thought you had an idea about UCLA. All of a sudden they explode against Arizona State. Uh, sorry, Washington State. Arizona still has Khalil Tate, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like, you know, they're, they're really letting him go again. Uh, Greg. UCLA, Arizona, who do you have this weekend? Well, I give UCLA a lot of credit. They hung in there. They were able to score 60-some points. The problem is they also gave up 60-some points. So I'm looking at who's going to have the better defense. Um, I'm going to go – Daryl's going to hate this. But I think I'm going to go – I think I'm going to go with Arizona uh, because I thought UCLA probably played out of their minds only because Leach allowed them to have more time on the scoreboard. And if, if Khalil Tate can stay vertical, he could cause a lot of damage to UCLA. And I think that, uh, you know, the way it comes out to me, I just think Arizona. I would not be shocked if UCLA won, but I'm going to pick uh, the Wildcats. All right, Daryl, how about you? Khalil Tate to me, and I, I love the kids. So, uh, and again, this is no indictment on him as a person, but he appears to be a shot fighter you know, just kind of a shell of himself of what we've grown to love of him. And I, I really do think that Dorian Thompson Robinson figures something out, how to run that Chip Kelly offense 
and kind of sped things up. And now that you've, you've tasted what it feels like to run high octane and put points on the board, you come back down to reality. And you're going to lose to Arizona, but it's going to at least be a close loss now that they've figured out something. <laughs> Just to be contrarian, I'm going to take UCLA well in this game. I, I think UCLA – uh, I I think they find a way to win. I, I don't think this is like a one-win team. I, I think you've seen, you know, there there's playmakers, Demetric Felton. I, I still don't think Dorian Thompson-Robinson is, you know, the answer this year at quarterback. I, I don't think he takes kind of the five steps forward that it seemed like he needed to at the beginning of the season. But I think he sort of gets a rhythm going. I, I think UCLA can win this game. And now the one that matters – USC going up to Washington. Daryl, I want to start with you, your pick for, uh, for Trojans Huskies. Uh, again, this is a tall order. Uh, the good thing going for USC is that Clay Helton has had experience, knows what it takes to win up there. And I hate to say it for all the fans that want to see him lose his job, but he is the what? Dodd Trophy Coach of the Week, uh, for, you know, um, Head Coach of the Week. So, there's some good momentum, some good vibes going through uh, the the are uh, going through USC right now. But on the road, it's a daunting task. Jacob Easton is the key. Can they get him off his mark? Get him to be uncomfortable, and take care of the football and run the football. If they do those things, they should win in a close game, 24-17. If not, if Matt Fink does what Matt Fink did in the Coliseum, they're going to get blown out. But I like USC in this hard-fought game, 24 to 17. They find a way to win it, and I'm rooting with my heart. All right, Greg, how about you? Well, I would be disappointed if Daryl didn't say that he's rooting for it with his heart. You know, we'd have to take his way as Trojan membership card as a football <laughs> player. <laughs> now, uh, I have to speak as a journalist uh, myself, a columnist. But, no, I thought you well put, Daryl. I think that um, – if SC plays as well as they can play, and if Washington plays as well as they can play, Washington will beat the point spread of 10 and a half points. I just think that SC is hurting in the secondary. Uh, I have a lot of respect now for the SC front, front line to get to, get to um, Eason, but I think that they, they really are, they're really good. And I think that we've learned that Cal is really good too. So I don't take the upset at Washington all as, as bad as I first thought it would be. So in my mind, I think, I think the Husky is going to be a little bit too much. Yeah, I, I, this is a lot like the Utah game last week where it's, it's a lot of sort of head versus heart. I think Daryl got into that a little bit. Cer certainly the same way for me. I think it sort of speaks to USC's overall talent level. I, I don't think there are many – let me say, there are no Pac-12 teams that are taking their third-string quarterback to Washington – and expecting to, to either make a real game of it or, you know, perhaps come away with the win. I, I think it shows you what USC is capable of if things are firing all, on all cylinders. My head says things are not going to be firing on all cylinders. You, you've got a couple guys in the secondary uh, that are down and are just instrumental to what you have done uh, defensively so far. I think you've got a Washington coach and coaching staff um, that it, I, I don't think it's a, a massive mismatch against USC staff, but I think this Washington staff, they've been together for so long and, and they really know this personnel. They know what they can do. Uh, I think that gives them 
an advantage. Uh, and, and then USC, how much of that Utah win was kind of, you know, momentum and emotion and playing at home. You're, they're not going to have that on the road. And again, it's tough to pick against what they have shown uh, on the road recently. And that has been not a whole lot. So again, in my head, I can see this as like a 14 point Washington win, 14 to 17, something where they just sort of kind of prove over the course of the game that, that they're kind of deeper uh, in the secondary and they have an offense that can kind of grind it out and wear you down. I still think that USC has a shot to go in and play really good football up front, stop this, this Washington running game. And I think that maybe they can figure something out offensively. I, my, my official guess would be that Washington does end up winning, but boy, I, I think there's a real shot for USC. And again, when we talked about this kind of coming into the season, the idea of of this four and one start wins against Stanford and Utah and Washington, it feels more real now, like a real possibility now than it did when we were coming into the season. And I, I don't know exactly what to chalk that up to it because there, there are holes defensively up front on the perimeter and they've got to figure out a way to fit, to fit those and fill those. But boy, it just feels like USC, the way they're talking and kind of the, emotion that they have in terms of playing for Clay Helton and, and really wanting to get this thing turned around. It was like there might be something uh, that they can take up and, and give the Huskies up there in Washington this weekend. So we'll find out all of that 1230 kick on Saturday as the number 21 USC Trojans go up to take on the number 17 Washington Huskies and what could end up being kind of the, the Pac-12 game of the year, maybe even a conference championship preview. So for Daryl Rideau, for Greg Katz, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for watching We Are SC Game Day.